And we've not done uh, a lot of it, but as a family, we really enjoy camping. Now, one thing that we've learned as we've gone on, as we're starting to learn more, is that building a fire takes some time to do properly. You need to think about the, the kindling that you put in, then just those little bits of wood on top, and then the, the larger pieces that you choose around them. Once lit, maintaining that fire is important. If you do it properly, if you do it with care and attention, it'll burn hot, it'll burn bright, and it'll burn for a long time. If you're a Christian uh, here today, then our life, uh, our faith is similar to this. God is the one who lights that fire of faith and he promises to keep you for your whole life. I don't know where you are at today. I don't know uh, where you're at in your mind as you arrive. But in this final chapter of Second Thessalonians, we see some of these means of grace that God is using here to keep that fire burning in that congregation and for you today, when you may feel even this morning that your faith is close to being snuffed out, close to being extinguished. Turn to Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'm going to read uh, that final chapter of Paul's letter for us now. Uh, look there with me. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now this letter from Paul the Apostle to the church in Thessalonica that's in Greece 
has so far just been a letter of encouragement for a struggling congregation, a, a congregation that has been dealing with hard times and persecution, and a congregation dealing with even a concern about Christ's return. When's it going to happen? And one where there had already been reports of laziness among the members. In our chapter today, we're uh, once again, uh, we'll see how Paul will encourage the faithful brothers and sisters of the church there, uh, where God has clearly been doing wonderful things. And then we'll see how Paul will take the time just to, to warn the idleness uh, that seems to have gotten worse. As we look at this uh, final chapter, I think the main point of our passage is, Christian, your life should be rooted in the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Christian, your life should be rooted in the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. I think we see the, the text just splits into two sections for us. And so uh, we have two points. The first of those, uh, look there in verses one to five. Our first point is pray for one another. Pray for one another. Paul is bringing this letter, this long letter to a conclusion here. And he does so, uh, he does so carefully and purposefully, uh, reminding them of the affection, the intimacy he has with them. And he does that by beginning, finally, brothers. That's the sixth time that he's called them that so far. Uh, and with the, the seventh there uh, in verse six, as he, that's Paul, the apostle, uh, arguably the most well-known Christian of all time and probably the most known name in the New Testament after Jesus. Look at what he, Paul the Apostle, knows he needs in verse 1. He knows he needs help. He knows that he needs prayer. You see, this is what Christians do for each other. It's the best thing we can do. I wonder... Is this how you view prayer? Is it your first thought or is it, man, we've, we've kind of tried everything else. Maybe we should pray about that. How do you view prayer? Paul is clearly here saying we all need prayer in some way. He was no different. I think the priority of prayer is clear here in Paul's mind. It's simple. And then look. Following that, how Paul asks the church to pray. In amongst all that is happening, Paul desires for, he says, the word of the Lord to go forth. That phrase there, speed ahead, also meaning running, also meaning to go out, to go out unhindered. I think this is athletic language. You might recognize it from uh, 1 Corinthians or Hebrews 12. Here is the word of God that runs. And Paul prays that it will be honored, as verse 1 concludes. Like an athlete that wins the race, the word of God deserves honor and praise. Paul wants to see it go out and to keep going. Paul knows the impact of wherever the word of God reaches and that there is no doubt that it should be prized and held up and celebrated. But what is it? What is it specifically? What is this word of God? Well, it's what God has given us. Specifically, God himself has spoken to us through his word as we have it. It is the Bible. 
And then more specifically, the Bible has a message, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right at the very core, the very center of God's word is what Christ achieved in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Romans 1 tells us that it is the power of God for salvation. This is the focal point. The gospel is the epicenter of the word of God. Friends, this is what we must preach both to each other and to those who do not believe. There is not another story. There's not another uh, bridge or explanation to complete. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that in his perfection, in his perfection, he left heaven where he had been ruling forever as Lord. And then he came to earth to live as a man. He had to do this. He had to come as a man because of Adam and Eve, for uh, they sinned. And for all of us, we all come following them. We have all sinned and rejected God like they did. That's what you've done. And that's what I have done. Jesus came so that we could be reconciled to God in his grace towards us. This was God's perfect plan. This was not a mistake. This is not a plan B. Christ lived a perfect life that you could not. And then he willingly went to the cross where he took the punishment that you deserve. Friends, do not misunderstand. You deserve death. There on the cross, Jesus died, beating sin and death. And then three days later, he rose again so that many sinners could come to faith. That is be reconciled. That means to be made right with God. And he won this victory for all who trust in him. And now he reigns following his ascension. He reigns in heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. It is this good news that Paul prays will go forward, that he taught and is this same gospel that we must take to the world. That's not just for you here on a Sunday. This is not a a private talk for us to keep in here as a secret. This is for you. It's for you to take out to your neighbors, to your work colleagues, to our city, and back to whatever country you have come from today. Friends, all those people, even those names, those faces in your mind right now that you're thinking about, they all need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul carries on. He reminds the Thessalonians that this word of the Lord has gone out and it's been honored among them. Others, uh, he and others had preached. And I want to ask you the same thing about this honor is, this what has happened in your life? Is this how you view the word of God? Is this how you have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would the people you work with, would the people you study with be surprised to hear that you're a Christian? Would they be shocked? Because your life does not match your profession. Has the word of the Lord being honored in your life. Maybe you've never even accepted Jesus Christ. These are things 
great questions to ask yourself. These are great things to think about. These are great things to ask the person you have lunch with today or the friends you hang out with tonight. These are great things to discuss over dinner with family and friends. How do you honor the Lord in your life? Have you accepted and followed Jesus Christ? If you love God and you follow Christ, then you love and you honor his word. That means you read it. That means you learn it. That means you take it seriously. That means as you've gloriously done today, you come and you sit under the preaching of God's word. Do you take what God says? Do you believe it? Do you trust it? And do you live by it? Paul's prayer request that carries on and he gives us some explanation for it and some encouragement for the Thessalonians. Look at verse two with me. Paul is acknowledging a lot here in the second verse. These two words he's using really mean very similar things, wicked and evil. Paul, like the Thessalonians, he has experienced persecution. And we know this from uh, other letters that he'd written, Second Corinthians, uh, Second Timothy, uh, Romans. Paul was always running into those who want to stop and slow his ministry. And we see from these words that there are wicked people out there and that these wicked people are evil. Catch what he's saying. There are bad people at work. This is a warning. Even for you this morning, there are bad people in this world being used by Satan. Friends, don't be surprised. Satan is at work. Satan hates that you are here today. Satan hates that there is a thriving church here in Russell Keimer, full of people that have risked their lives in 40-something heat to be here today, to gather with other Christians that have struggled to get here, just to be encouraged to sit alongside other believers and to sit under this word of God that they take seriously. Satan hates this. Satan hates you. Friends, we need to be on guard. We know that we need to continue trusting God while living in a place where people reject Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This isn't just Russell Keimer or the UAE. This is the world we live in. Paul says that not all have faith. We know sweet and kind people. You thought about them probably a minute ago, but they reject Christ. We work and live alongside generous and fun people, but they reject Christ. Maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe you deliberately and you intentionally reject Christ. You've come here this morning just to hear what it's all about. Friends, if you don't trust and believe Christ as your Lord, then you do not have faith. Make no mistake. That means that you have no hope on judgment day. I urge you this morning, call out to Jesus. He is your only hope in life and in death. Where does Paul uh, land this thought though for us? Despite everything that's going on out there and that hard time that uh, you've experienced or maybe you're even experiencing 
uh, right now or the difficult days that you know are coming or that you expect might happen, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Paul had suffered through beatings and imprisonment, being chased out of nearly every city he visited, and he knows and he can proclaim that the Lord is faithful. Christian, I want to remind you this morning, as Paul does here too, that no matter what you are going through right now, you can declare with full confidence, the Lord is faithful. It is God who will establish you and guard you against the evil one. What a confidence this is for the Christian to know that it is God, the Lord of the universe, the one who we read about even names the stars. It is he who is working. It is God's word that he has given us. It is God's church that he is establishing, a people that he promises to guard, not just against the people who make your life difficult, but against the evil one against Satan. Friend, if you are a Christian, then trust and know that it is God who is not just guarding you, but he has chosen you. It's the same God that will establish and keep you. He'll never let you go. Others in this world will let you down. The person sitting next to you will let you down. I will let you down at some point. Your parents, your friends, your employer, all of them will let you down. Friends, God will never let you down. He is always good and he is always faithful. Now there are building, you guys have probably seen this or if you're the villain Brecks, you've heard this. Uh, they're building new apartments on Marjan Island right now. I was speaking with Andre about this the other day and he was telling me how they're just driving down day after day, morning after morning, these huge piles concrete piles into the seabed just to shore up the ground as a firm foundation. Friends, that takes time. Every one of those concrete piles, every one of them, hundreds of them, every one of them is important. And what a faith and what a foundation is this reminder here, this faithfulness of God for you, Christian, this morning. Take these truths, these deep truths that Paul is giving us, read them, and then drive them one by one down deep into your spirit. Every one of these rich theological piles is so important and will provide this firm foundation for your faith. We'll look more at this in our second point, and it's us. We know that we falter and that we fail. In our obedience, every week, every day, it seems, yet, Christian, it is God that keeps you and holds you. You can lean on him, run to him, praise him, adore him. This is what he deserves. Really, this is all we can do. Now, my mom, uh, she gets really worried every time I travel, and she's, this might not just be my mum, you might recognize this as well, but she's constantly telling me to drive safely. Now she's doing multiple things by saying that. She's saying, I really care about you. And she's saying, I really worry about you. She's saying, I want you to drive safe. 
And wrapped up within that phrase, she's saying, I want you to drive safely. And then we're wrapped up within that phrase. She's also telling me. She's also telling me to drive safely. All of that wrapped up in that one phrase. And that's some of what Paul is doing here in verse 4. He is simultaneously encouraging and persuading the Thessalonians to carry on in their obedience. To carry on, he points out what he sees in the Thessalonians and then carries on to say, hey, keep being obedient. You've been obedient, but keep being obedient to God's word that we have taught you. So much of what Paul is referencing is the teaching that he and the apostles have have brought to them. that He has personally given to them face to face. It is trusting in who God is, that Christ is coming back for his people. It is also that there will be a judgment day. Yeah, the Christian will be hidden in Christ. It is that God is sovereign over every situation and that he will guard and keep his people. And then there in verse 5, this final building up of the Thessalonians is to remind them of what it will look like to stand firm in the faith. Look there at verse 5. He immediately speaks there to the, to the heart of man, the center of uh, all that you are. The Bible so often links our heart with our identity. And Paul really wants them, and he wants, I think, you today to be rooted in who the Father is and what Christ has demonstrated perfectly. It is to be like God, to love like he loves, and to be steadfast like Christ was steadfast. But what does the love of God look like? To be a Christian is to love in the way that God loves. It is to love lavishly. It is a love that is full of grace and thinking the best. It is a love that puts the other person first. It's a love that listens and prays. A love that rejoices, but also a love that weeps. As we'll see, it's also a love that disciplines and corrects. I think some of you would love a list of what this looks like. And I think that some of the best ways that we can love one another with this godly love is to look at our church covenant. I think that's a really wonderful example. Read it tonight. If you're a member here, read it. Take it seriously. It's a summary of how we love and care for one another. And I ask you, I urge you, commit to loving well the brothers and sisters here that you have covenanted with. What about the endurance of Christ? In Christ, we see what it means to live a life of humility and condescendence all the way to the cross. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 speaks clearly to this. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I really love what Charles Spurgeon, a British preacher, says about Christ. He says, Jesus, who is he that could look upon the brow of thy majesty? Who is he that could comprehend the strength of the arm of thy might? Thou art 
God, thou art infinite. We poor finite things are lost in thee. The insect of an hour cannot comprehend thyself. We bow before thee. We adore thee. Thou art God over all, blessed forever. Friends, Jesus is God. He really did leave heaven becoming poor so that many sinners could be made right and enjoy all the rights and privileges that he gave up. If you're a Christian, then know that he loved, know that he served, and also that he endured. As the king of the universe, he endured suffering and persecution, taunting and torture. He did all of this for your sake. He did all of this for you. He has shown us who he is, how he alone is worthy of our praise and our honor. And by the Holy Spirit, we are called to live in this world for as long as he keeps us, enduring to the end, all for his glory. Now, a few of us uh, got to visit the Sheikh's palace uh, when we went for the church 10th anniversary. And you could visibly see on the faces of the men who worked there the privilege and the honor it was for them to work for and live for the Sheikh. Christian, you serve. You get to live for the Lord of the universe. Not just a man seated a few miles down the road who rules over this all the land that we can see. You live for and are called by and are chosen by the Lord of the universe. You get to live and serve him. What a joy. What a privilege that is for us. Friend, fix your eyes upon our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. It is there at his feet that you will find all that you seek. In Christ is found every desire of our heart. Yet I know that there are those amongst us that are struggling even today. And it was the same in the Thessalonian church. And this leads us there to our second point, verses 6 to 15. Don't pray on one another. P-R-E-Y. Don't pray on one another. Verses 6 to 15. Really the main bulk of this second point is kind of bracketed in verse 6 and verse 12 uh, with a word that gives us real weight and authority of what Paul is saying. The word command is used here. And it's not done so lightly. This whole section is concerning the uh, idle brothers. That's those unwilling to work. And so they pray on other members of the church. This section tells us how to deal with those people as the, as the congregation, how to do that together. That is this first command that we're going to see in verse 6. And then the later, the second command there in verse 12 is to the idle men themselves. And this is already an issue that has come up uh, in the fourth uh, chapter of Paul's first letter uh, to the Thessalonians. Uh, Paul writes there, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Uh, Now, maybe for these men, it's because they thought Christ was about to come back, as we discussed at length in other sermons. Or I think what is more likely, honestly, is that they were just idle. They were just 
disobedient men in that congregation. Either way, they were men who did not listen. And so we come now to verse 6. And having already spoken of his desire that, uh, that they would listen to what, the, what he said in verse 4, Paul now moves to this, this change of gear. He uses the word brothers there to grab their attention. And then comes the use of that, that word command, followed by that in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I think we're now beyond the, just the normal encouragement or suggestion of Paul. And this is something that the Thessalonian church and us today must really take on board and listen to. So really by combining these two things, that uh, command and then also in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is really adding uh, authority. He's really adding this, there's clearly a need for him to kind of pull out the Jesus card, if you will, and to lay it down and say that this teaching is particularly important and has been addressed by our Lord himself. And this really goes out to the whole church. What's being said there is not complicated, but it is serious and weighty. These are important things. With the front-loaded authority of Jesus, Paul then says to the congregation that they are to keep away. That is meaning uh, kind of give distance to uh, these brothers. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But first, who are they keeping away from? Well, we see all of this in verses 6 to 12. They are those whose lives have been characterized by idleness. This is what they are walking in, Paul says. Your walk is your life. This means that this is something they do regularly. This is not just a one-time thing, that someone was lazy for a particular morning, a particular morning or uh, took a few days off or something like that. This is, how, this is characteristic of these men's lives. This person is often late to the meetings you have. This person is unreliable. This person does not have a job or is regularly without work and actually doesn't even want to work. This person tries to borrow money from people when they know they can't pay it back. And this person regularly tries to get something for nothing. They selfishly prey on other people. They take advantage. They are only thinking about themselves and not their brothers or their sisters. This person, I think Paul is kind of pointing out to us, happily goes against all that God has ordained for man ever since Genesis to work with our hands, to, to labor, to have dominion, to be active in this world and not passive. This is some of what Paul is saying when he says that this person is going against tradition. These people Ignore the teaching they have received from the apostles, from Christ. They're going against the word of God. I think that phrase encapsulates all these things. And when Paul goes on in uh, verses 7, 8, and 9, uh, that they also know this because Paul demonstrated this to them when he was with them. He said, you know this. We weren't idle when we were with you. We didn't take someone's bread without paying for it. I mean, we worked day and night. You know this. I've shown you this. You've seen this. We taught you this. And what's more, there in verse 9, Paul then shows that he would have been well within his rights to do so. He was an apostle. He, a laborer of the Lord, one who we're meant to host and show hospitality to. But he's saying that even in this, he happily gave up his rights. 
Now, wonderfully, some of the most generous men I've known have been some of those who've had the least. I know some very generous CEOs for sure, but I've been really blown away by those who have little and are so generous as they often are. Paul is calling the believers here, pointing to his own example to say that every single one of us, however much you have, whether that is much or little, should be seeking to buy, seeking to work for our own bread. Whether you raise support here, whether you work for a charity, perhaps you earn much or little, none of these make it okay for you to be idle, for you to be disorderly. I think that is what we're seeing here. It goes against all of who you are meant to be to live in a disorderly way. We are meant to be busy with our work, with all that God has provided for us, so we are not left to gossip about others. Paul here calls them busybodies. Of course, I understand there'll be seasons where someone might lose a job or seasons where you have to rely on the generosity of friends, all good, all great, normal things that happen within a congregation. But this sense here of living in a disorderly way, to be regularly seeking to live for yourself in a way that makes you a burden to those around you, sees you ignoring biblical commands, all for uh, your own wage. For some, there might be a realization that this is you. This is how you live. For others, it might be that you realize that that's how someone is treating you. This helpful step of realization is an important one. Paul here in verses 10 to 15 then shows us what should come next. For the idle one, Paul goes as far here as saying that if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. It's not complicated. Paul's not messing around. He's not mincing his words. This seems very clear to me. I think that key word there is willing. Willing. And we live in a place where in a despicable way, it is hard for certain people from certain countries to get visas. This is awful. What I've witnessed, though, in this past year, even in our own congregation, is the willingness of some without work to do anything possible to earn money. Does anyone need some yard work done? Does anyone need some extra cleaning done in their house? I have to tell you, I love seeing these messages come through. Guys are willing and able to work. These are the brothers we should be helping. We should be literally buying them bread when they need it. We should be lending them our cars when they need it. We should be giving them a place to stay or helping them find work. Paul is saying the opposite is true for those unwilling. In verse 6, he says, keep away from these brothers. Keep away from these brothers. Two things to note here. First of all, that this person is a brother. Paul is careful 
as we should be about how we use that word. This means that he is a Christian. This person is still a brother and we should treat him like one. That means this command to keep away does not mean as, as verse 15 says, regarding him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Secondly, it does mean though that there should be some distancing. This brother should feel the right pressure from the congregation. Now, these are the kind of early steps in church discipline, moving towards uh, stronger measures. But Paul, it clear, is clearly uh, not saying that this requires excommunication or a, a break of fellowship, but there should be some difference in the relationship until this situation is rectified. I think we get a clue in the kind of the jab uppercut combo of let him not eat in verse 10 and then have nothing to do with him in verse 14. These two things come together. We get a a sense of how we interact with this person, how that change should come. There comes a point where the body together operates to helpfully apply pressure on the person. Verse 14 carries on that he may that he may be ashamed. This is perhaps hard for us to understand, but in a, a shame and honor culture, we see that it would be normal for the community to operate together, to apply pressure, all for the good, all for the righteousness of that one. This is the same with church discipline. It is a loving warning to a brother or sister to say, hey, you're you're living out of line with what God's word says. And we love you enough to call you back to what you said you believed. Repentance is always the desire. Paul's dealing with the idol brother is no different. He is not an enemy. He is a brother. And our desire is for a life of disorder to become a life of order. I think this is why Paul begins with the love of God and then follows it with the steadfastness of Christ at the beginning, reminding them all of what they have been shown by God and how they are to then call, uh, care and love one another, including uh, calling brothers to life change. For the idle one, this is also the balm that soothes this corrective and difficult word. Paul again uh, then uses the word command in verse 12 to speak directly to these brothers. Work quietly, earn their own living. This is the simple command to every Christian. It is not loud and complicated. We should be a people who pray for a quiet life of faithfulness. Now Paul again lands in encouragement in verse verse 13 for the congregation. And he recognizes that doing good for others is tiring. It will cost us. It is hard. It is painful. Many of you know this for yourselves even recently, but it is great. Paul is recognizing the cost of this love that he is calling the church to. If you've got kids, uh, then you understand that to parent well is tiring. To parent well is hard but it is the most loving way to parent. It's the same with your church membership here. To care well for your brothers and sisters is tiring. It will require you to 
be in each other's lives. It'll cost you both financially and in your time and in your heart as you give out to others. And we see here it'll even require hard conversations. But it is so good. Is this that the Lord uses for your good and for their good and all ultimately for his glory. As Paul concludes this letter and our time here uh, in verse 16 and 17, he's reassuring the church, asking for God's peace on them before assuring the Thessalonians that he wrote this letter himself. There are new and growing congregations similar to us here, also living somewhere hostile towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reminder there is the same. Promise is the same for you today as you head back to your jobs, as you head back to the country that you came from, as you head into the unknown of tomorrow, as you experience persecution, or as you long for heaven, the Lord is with you. Friends, let me remind you that he has bound your wandering heart to his. Keep going, brothers and sisters. All of this only possible when we know and remember the love of God and the amazing steadfastness of Christ.